Geek number 7, April 17, 2008. Laptop recommendations, listener voicemail, Pat's MMO conference, and a heated debate on programming styles. Brought to you live from the bottom of the San Andreas Fault. I'd like to put a little disclaimer into the beginning of this uh, episode. I know it's been a long time since we recorded Tweaking Geek last, and I know that our thousands of fans have just been asking and asking and asking for new episodes. And that's actually true. Well, I have to admit that uh, we kind of got caught by our own cheapness. Yes, we weren't paying our writers enough, so they went on strike with the rest of the writers this winter. Pretty much... Uh, along with other popular shows like Heroes and Lost and Battlestar Galactica, all which have uh, abbreviated seasons, so did Tweaking Geek, because we basically didn't have any material, as, as opposed to the normal material that we do have. However, now we are in Season 2 of Tweaking Geek, and this is Season 2, Episode 1. And unless our writers go on strike again, this is going to be another good 23-show season. So, Pat, um, I was thinking about a little bit about Web 2.0. I mean, this is kind of a loaded question or whatever, but uh, and I was thinking, you know how like when you log into forums and stuff, you have like these uh, little pictures that you put beside your your name or whatever, and they're always like something representative of your uh, you know your personality or whatever. Right, your avatar. Your avatar. Sometimes it inconveniences me that for every form I post on, you know, www.craigisawesome.com and, you know, www.craigrocks.org, all those, I have to have a different avatar for each one. And I just don't think I can have, like, that many awesome, you know, pictures of me flexing my muscles for uh, on these forums. So do you have what any ideas? coincidence. Really? Wow. Yes. I'm I'm WordPress. so glad that we just happened to be talking about this on our <laughs> podcast. Uh, WordPress, which is the software that powers the Tweak and Geek blog, just upgraded to version 2.5. One of the new features is that WordPress now supports uh, what's called Gravatars, out of box. And in fact, if you go take a look at a comment feed to any of our posts, you'll see that uh, we've added Gravatars to the posts. So what is a Gravatar? I know you had to go through the joy of setting one up this week. You know, it wasn't so bad. It was actually pretty cool. So these are hosted by a site called Gravatar.com. It's short for Globally Recognizable Avatar. Dot com. Dot com. <laughs> and, I mean, they're, if you read their About Us type pages and their blog and kind of try to piece it together, they're really uh, – I mean, their goal is to give – every user out there a way to have an avatar that can be shared all over the internet. As, as you comment here, comment there, you'll get, why upload your avatar to 4,000 sites? So they kind of have a central service for this. Yeah. Well, one thing I thought was pretty cool is like, so I made an account, my, you know, my email address, Craig at tweakinggeek.com. But I also have like two other email addresses that I use fairly regularly. So I actually was able to upload an avatar for each of those differently. So I can manage all my avatars from one place. I've got multiple email addresses using the same avatar as well. How this works under the hood is any any blog or forum or uh, software that wants to support this just uh, sends, a, sends a request to a URL that includes an MD5 hash of your email address. And you know, a couple other things, how big do you want the image and all that. Um, and it gets back your, your avatar. That's without, pretty- ever, without ever actually sending your email address over, which is pretty good. So 
you know, if you're worried about that sort of thing being in thousands of requests, it's not going to happen. I was very worried about that. <laughs> Some people get sensitive about privacy. It's just a neat system, right? I mean, I, I like it. So what what support what is it supported on now? Because you said WordPress is? WordPress, uh, I mean, blogs in general. Lots and lots of blogs primarily uh, support. I think every major blog either supports it out of box or has a plugin that's been written to support Gravatars. That's pretty cool. So I wonder if uh, other forums, you know, like sometimes I go to like the ASP.net forum, you know, I wonder if something like that will eventually support Gravatars. It's got a chance. I mean, it's a, it's... It's a small service, but a neat service, in my opinion. Yeah. Guess what my gravatar is for Craig at tweakinggeek.com? Your bulging muscles. No, it's my kitty. <laughs> I'm not surprised. My avatar is a photograph of me. Oh. No, my- it's, uh, it's actually a picture of my Pirates of the Burning Sea character. Because pirates are cool. And pirates are pirate ninja space bikini model monkeys. You forgot robot. Robot. robot pi- well, we get the idea. Uh, they would have to be robots because, you know, to, for, to be cool, you have to be a robot. So Gravatar. So, yeah, because I have three and uh, my main Tech Geeks email address, I have a little main Tech Geeks logo for uh, my personal email address. I have a picture of my face and a, for a pic- for my Tweaking Geek one, I have my kitty and she's very pretty. Is main Tech Geek supporting Gravatars? No, but that's because we're just after uh, Abraham Lincoln delivered the uh, Gettysburg Address. The version of movable type that I'm using was released. Pretty much, it supports nothing. I thought you were considering moving it. You know, I, I am considering moving it still. And I, I, I've looked into it a little bit, because right now I have it hosted where I work. But one of the things I was thinking of is maybe I should just I should just bite the bullet and get web hosting. You know, just like buy a subscription to some web hosting service, install movable type. Uh, not movable type, uh, WordPress, and just go with it and you know, be able to keep up on updates and stuff. One thing you want to be careful of, there's been a little rash of hacking lately in WordPress, so oh, you got to really? keep it up to date. Yeah, I mean, if like, how often do you... Uh... I try to update within a couple days of a new version coming out. Also, you, you, there's a lot of favors you can do for yourself. You can install mod security. That does a lot of it for you right there. You know, and just good practices, right? Keep it, keep an eye on things. Make sure you use hard-to-guess passwords. Yeah. Every once in a while, go take a look at your database. Make sure you're not seeing tons of uh, base64 text. That's usually your big giveaway. Okay. That's cool. So, yeah, I think I, think I might do that because I, I've actually – I put a post on Main Tech Geeks a while back saying, you know, big changes are coming. And they are still, but just not as fast as I thought. But I have, like, a new logo for it that I made and uh, – there is actually a new contributor who hasn't contributed much, you know, but basically, but I'd like to get a more up-to-date piece of blogging software. And and we did actually have a uh, uh, an email from a listener asking about something about one of our themes for how you got the theme to be applied to the, uh, to the blog. And I think pretty much all I have to say about that is whatever you did, it seemed like it worked pretty well. And it's a pretty decent looking blog. Yeah, we, uh, we grabbed a theme called Pop Blue. And just made a few small modifications. I mean, changing what infringe. I think we added trackbacks. They weren't in the theme originally. Yep, we did that. That's about all. All I did that and threw in the gravatar code. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm looking forward to playing Which, with gravatar. Yes, at quote unquote adding gravatars meant about four lines of PHP. It's it pretty easy. Four lines of PHP is five lines too many. 
<laughs> yes, I, I, I showered extensively afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> I much prefer to do ASP. Pat, I uh, just came into some, some money. Well, not not much, but just enough that I'm thinking about buying a laptop. Now, are you going to actually buy it this time, or are you going to delude our poor listeners like you did in Episode 5, where you promised to buy toys and you bought, like, socks and porno? <laughs> well, it was, it, was, it was actually pants and a book, but, you know, whatever. Was it a good book? I don't even remember what it was. Maybe it was so, like, so no. Was it porno? No. Okay. Um, they were cargo pants, so it's kind of like no. They both end in O. Porno, cargo. Anyway, so uh, <laughs> so I'm thinking that you know, geez, I might actually like to get a uh, a laptop because right now I've got you know that computer that I always rave about about how fabulous it is, but it's in my room. And if I want to work on my computer, I'm always in my room. You know, and if I want to like do some work from home. I pretty much have to sit in my bedroom all day. And it's just not really kind of like what I'm interested in doing. Okay. So, um, I, I mean, I have a laptop. I have a huge laptop with a 17-inch, you know, whatever they call it, UXGA 19-something by 1200 screen. A massive, massive laptop. And it costs probably a lot more than you want to spend. And for me, it's more of a portable desktop. Right. I don't, I don't like, use it on a plane or on a subway. I mean, I get where I'm going, hotel room or whatever, and set it up. You do not use it with a fox. You do not use it in a box. Exactly. You, you know, uh, well, I was thinking, you know, there, there's so many out there, but for what I kind of want, I, I was thinking of maybe like, uh, you know, I always recommend people go to the Dell uh, outlet and get a refurbished machine because they have the same warranty and everything as a, uh, as a new one. It sounds like a good low-cost approach. Yeah, I mean, that, you know me. that'll get you a laptop that's good for browsing the web, right? Yeah, browsing the web. You know, I have a VPN connection, you know, be able to do remote desktop, that sort of thing. You know, I mean, I guess part of it is, you know, like, I'm, one of my quandaries is, you know, if I got a laptop, would I actually use it? Because, like, all my stuff is on my desktop right now. I but, find I keep, I keep copies of everything. I, I pretty much have the same software on my desktop and my laptop. It's kind of a pain to keep them synced. Um, I do recommend if you do this, make sure you've got a nice network storage solution and some decent sync software. What do you use for sync software? I use a program called Always Sync. Always Sync? Or Allway, like all all of them and way, like direction. Allway. Yeah, and it's I think it's twenty bucks for a for a license. It's it it's uh it's pretty good. Since I run XP 64-bit, I can't use the Windows Sync Power Toy, which is all supposed to be, you know, pretty effective. Oh, uh, you might want to start with that because that's you know free. And I wonder if that is it. Do they have that in Vista? I think they do. I believe they do have a Vista version. Interesting. Well, so for this, for my whole like laptop thing, then uh, I'm going to uh, do some serious work on it. And when when Tweaking Geek number eight comes out then I'm going to uh, report back and tell everybody that I have, like, an awesome new tricked-out laptop with, like, a V6 engine and... Actually, that wouldn't be that tricked-out. Hydraulics. A hydraulic, like, a, a V10 with... I don't know. I'm trying to come up with some, like, good car analogy, and I'm just going to sound like even more of a nerd than usual, so <laughs> I think I'll stop. 
<laughs> so I think I welcome our listeners to chime in. You can drop in on our website and comment, and Craig will ignore your comments. Absolutely. Or you can, if you want, call our new, beautiful, grand central number at 678-999-6321 uh, and leave us a voicemail. Uh, or you can just email us if you're lame. You, you know what the best way to get in touch with us is? What is that? All right. You go, what you do is you get up from your computer or your iPod or whatever. You walk over to your front door. You open it. Step outside. And you yell really loud. And, and then after the police come and arrest you for disturbing the, the, con, or disturbing the peace, then you can just drop us an email. Or just say your message, and when CNN picks up the story, we'll read it online, and we'll make fun of you on our show. Yes, we will. That would be really awesome to get CNN. So, speaking, though, of our voicemail, speaking we've of got it. one. Somebody actually left us a message. So here's the message we found on our voicemail. Hi, guys. I was wondering if you could explain a little bit about how matrix time works. Because, and why my computer seems to run in it every time I try to do two things at the same time. And once you kind of clear that up, if you could also explain how Matrix hair works, that would be great. Because I know that when I get out of a gunfight, I no longer have that fresh-out-of-salon look. So I'm really trying to, to figure that one out. So any, any comments would be appreciated. Thanks. Okay, so we've got a question about Matrix time. Also I have- known as bullet time. I have to make a comment first. Oh, well, no. All right, let's talk about Matrix time first. I have the What's answer. your comment? I, ha- I have the answer on the Matrix hair, but... Uh, yeah, well, but I- we'll, we'll do hair in a second, because you save the best for last. Okay, because it's all about the hair. So, for starters, Matrix time is a standard feature on Vista. It, it is. You actually uh, have to opt out of Matrix time. So, keep keep that in mind. If you, if you enjoy Matrix time on your computer... Give Vista one gig of RAM and start Office, Firefox, and Photoshop at the same time. Exactly. I, well, and then just, you will be dodging bullets like a pro. You you can't be the one, but you might be like the three and a half. Just for our, for our listeners' benefits, if any of our listeners have not pretty much been out of the house since 1997, uh, this caller is referring to the movie trilogy, The Matrix, not... No, no, no. I refuse to explain The Matrix. If you don't know what The Matrix is, stop listening to this show, delete it. We don't want you. Well, but there may be some, like, nuns who've lived in a cloister since, say, 1996. We're just getting out now and are listening to our show. Or they may be listeners from Guam. Guam. What if they are nun listeners in Guam? I wonder if they're nuns in Guam. That's exactly how many listeners we have in Guam. (laughs) None. (laughs) <laughs> oh. Boo. so uh getting back to bullet time it's a cool effect it's getting overused everyone uses it now yeah max Payne, the video game is the first game i know of that used it it was actually really fun it was a core game mechanic so it's, it was great you'd you know barrel roll through a doorway into a room in bullet time with a shotgun and shoot eight people before you even hit the ground yeah, and I saw uh, a uh, review for the game uh, Charlie's Angels, and it, which it was actually on GameTrailers.com, and it was 
a review of the worst games of all time. It was actually number one, but it looked like they used a lot of bullet time in Charlie's Angels. But it looked stupid. We are in agreement, though. Starve your computer on memory, do too much at once, and you too can move like an agent. You know what I found, though? Uh, I have a computer at work that runs consistently on Matrix time, and it has two gigs of RAM and a giant swap file and everything. So you'd think you could run several things at once. Say you're only using, like, say, Outlook. You know, you're using Outlook and Firefox to do some stuff, and you have other things running in the background. You'd think that the two things that you're kind of using would reside in, you know, your RAM, and all the other programs would be swapped out. And so your computer would run in, you know, normal Earth time, right? Right. Wrong. Well, you would be right, you know, in theory, but it doesn't mine doesn't work like that. And uh, it, it seems as though as a computer gets older, for reasons unbeknownst to me or anybody, you know, and we found it with XP, you know, it just the performance just seems to degrade over time until basically, uh, you know, you have to, you know, if you like had a race of snails, and I don't mean like a group of snail beings. I mean, like, snails racing along, they would be faster than your computer. Okay. So, I, I found that that uh, Matrix Time definitely uh, expands over time. It's kind of like the universe. It expands. Sure. Huh. I, my computer at work, I have real problems with as well, and I, I couldn't even tell you why. I mean, it's a good machine. I've got a a Pentium 4 with hyper-threading and yep. 2 gigs of RAM, you'd, you'd think it could keep up. but Yeah, mine's Pentium D, uh, which is kind of like, you know, pretty much dual core. 3 gigahertz, 2 gigs of RAM, and it just crawls. So, so caller, our uh, answer is that Matrix Time pretty much just always works on computers because Microsoft built it in so that you have to upgrade. Now, Matrix Hair... Actually, uh, one of my coworkers in the cube across from me, uh, he shoots guns a lot. And he says, you, you just have to be cool if you want Matrix hair, you know, after, after a gunfight. Well, I would say that that's true and that Matrix hair really is a conspiracy because there's actually a line of hair products called Matrix. And oh. yes, exactly. So it could be that. To get Matrix Hair, you have to use Matrix Hair Gel. Now, I've got to say that Matrix Hair is, you know, it's just a limitation of the Matrix modeling system. It's not that they mean to make people look cool in a gunfight. It's that, I mean, you can only simulate so much physics. I don't care how much processing power you have. So even if your computer is powered by millions of babies, your hair is still, it's pretty static. Perhaps, but also, could it just be that actually the computer... The computers are completely powerful enough to actually uh, to model all that, but people in gunfights just actually look cool. That could be it. So if you want Matrix hair, just go get in a gunfight. You know what they say, never bring a knife to a gunfight. What does that have to do with hair? Never bring hair to a gunfight unless it use Matrix hair products. Check out our new spring line. At www.matrix.com. Uh, maybe the machines didn't install NVIDIA cards. And, of course, since those will be supporting the physics uh, coprocessors soon, uh, they just didn't have the power left over. Ah. Well, there you okay. go. Okay. I think we've exhausted this, but I'd like right. to thank our caller. 
who yes. chose not to leave a name. Although, we know who you are, but we're not going to blow your cover. We do, we do. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to note we also got uh, we had a good uh, email question um, about Visual Studio. It's a great question from Michael in Maine. It's uh, extremely good. It's so good that we don't actually have an answer for you yet, but we're working on it. We are working on it. I actually have a team of 17 PhD computer scientists working on it round the clock until we discover the uh, solution. And I have half the technical staff of Stargate Atlantis. Wow. Yeah. Except for the only problem is they're in another galaxy working on this problem, and it will be billions of light years before we get the information back. Thanks, Pat. Good job. <laughs> okay. So as I've uh, posted on my blog, www.worldiv.com, um, my, my blogging partner and I there uh, went to Minneapolis last month. I went to the Independent MMO Game Developers Conference. It was kind of interesting. Uh, definitely a, an assorted mix of people there, except for gender, because it was like 95% male. Ah, I see. You know, we had everyone from, you know, folks like us who were just curious to, you know, serious industry experts. Dr. Richard Bartle, who's probably one of the most respected names in academic analysis of online gaming. Let me just ask you a question. How many respected names in online gaming analysis is there? Are there? Oh. Five? At, at least five. Okay, well, that's good. Well, kind of a few. I mean, we can, we can crack jokes, but online gaming is big business. And you know, a big question is whether the future is going to be with the AAA studios and the $100 million budget, or if tools are getting there to allow independents you know, who get hundreds of players or thousands of players instead of millions, whether that's going to be the future. You know, will it be one big CNN.com, or will it be a lot of small blogs and podcasts-scale independent games? Hmm. Well, so, how, how hard is it to make – like, how, say I wanted to go out and start my own multiplayer, mul- multiple multiplayer online game. Like, how, what type of resources do I have to put into it? Obviously, I couldn't do it myself. Right. A lot. Um, you'll need a team. Probably the biggest obstacle you face is artwork. Not, that, not to trivialize the coding aspect. That's huge as well. Artwork is art, – you can't fake art. I mean, you either have art assets or you don't. And there's a lot you can buy. There's a lot of free art out there. The problem is anytime you start getting more than one or maybe a couple of sources, it starts getting really hard to blend the styles. Uh. And it, it'll, it'll really stand out. So in my MMO game, I, I shouldn't put my Monets and Picassos in the same scenes at the same time. Exactly. One of the really successful online multiplayer games out there is called Kingdom of Loathing. And everything they do is just horrible hand-drawn stick figures. And yet it's a style that works really well for them. Kingdom of Loathing. Do people actually play it? Yeah. Believe it or not, people do. I'll choose Um, not. So there's a lot of very positive attitude. (laughs) Um, So, I mean, this this conference was interesting. I said uh, Dr. Richard Bartle was there. He was probably the biggest speaker of note. A bunch of other big names in the industry. One of the directors of Bioware Austin, a big, uh, big Sony Online executive yeah uh, don't know about executive but high-ranked community members there so it was it was real interesting a lot of a lot of geekiness they made a real tactical error they had you know the quote-unquote after party of the first night and it was your typical disco dancing drinks kind of thing like but but the room has a hundred and some odd men in it and like three girls wow 
So let me ask you this: the most important that was horribly misspoken. A hundred and some odd boys who never really grew up, and like three girls. Let me ask you the most important question about the whole conference: Were the three girls hot? That's not the kind of question I can answer. These girls know me. If I if I say yes, they'll be like you were being sexist, and if I say no, they'll beat me. All right. Well, then, then let me put it another way: Would I think they were hot? And this is not your opinion. It's my opinion projected on your opinion. Well, in your opinion, on. of course. Okay. Absolutely. The lovely ladies of multiplayer online <laughs> games. And more, more importantly, though, uh, there, there really were some interesting folks there. Um, I got to speak with the composer for Flow, which, if you haven't seen, is a wonderful uh, little Flash game that's also just been released for the PlayStation. Um, and it was a, a student's grad thesis on, I want to make a game that's relaxing by design. So that was kind of neat. Yeah, and a bunch of bunch of developers, different different areas of the industry, a lot of niche games, including uh, one of one of the uh, current developers from Meridian Fifty Nine, which just might have been the first modern graphical MMO. Really? Possibly first high fantasy type. It could be. It's hard to say. There's a lot of competitors in that time. So what? Like, did you go to like workshops, or w- was it like? presentations where you just sat there or they had two styles of sessions i mean they had keynote speakers and then they had presentations so that's you know sit around let the person give their speech and their pretty slides and then take questions i spent more time at round tables so it was everyone gets around you've got a couple of you know speakers of note who moderate the discussion and probably try to drive it but really the room provided a lot of it there's uh there's a lot of energy and these are these are people who are really passionate about what they do so there was a lot of lot of back and forth with small game shops, people who make middleware. Um, these days, there's a, a ton of middleware. If you're interested in making a game, you're not going to have to write your own server and engine. Most likely, you'll you, you'll license that. You mean like the 3D rendering engine or the user interface or stuff like that? Correct. A lot of that, you'll just buy pieces and snap them together. Which is really kind of the trend in software development anyway. No one ever really writes software anymore. They just take other pieces of software and kind of cobble it together with glue code right somewhat i mean everyone takes these common parts and you know you you try to buy that instead of build it right Three hundred thousand people have written 3d engines there's no point in writing another one you know but the part of the game that's really unique to your system you know that's where you should be focusing your effort especially as an independent with you know real tight constraints on resources cool so it was it was a great time i volu- i actually volunteered for the conference which got me in for free uh, more importantly, I just wanted to kind of give something to it. It's not not that I have a whole lot of game development experience. However, am I allowed to? Uh, yes, you should definitely do it. All right, uh, next week, hopefully next week, if you if you get the show edited quickly enough, <laughs> or this week if it didn't get edited very quickly, uh, I'm moving to California and I'm go- I'm going to be working for a video gaming startup. The people producing MetaPlace, which is an engine for developing online games, and so ex- and your role will be, um, I'm going to be a, what they call a content developer. So, which means cleaning toilets. Yes. Well, on a later show, then we'll have to get you to uh, talk about some things that you're allowed to talk about. Obviously, not stuff in development, but kind of review some of your uh, your things. So, I bet our listeners would find that pretty awesome. Maybe you can even pick up some uh, beta testers or something from the- good. Okay, so here's the, here's the deal. I have found in my travels lately, and by travels I mean sitting at my desk, that uh, a lot of programmers are really obsessive-compulsive about stuff. And I'm allowed to say that because I'm a programmer. 
but I'm not that sure. obsessive compulsive. I mean, and I mean, our job requires us to be kind of tedious and detail oriented by nature, and you know, a lot of us get real hung up on stuff like you know formatting and coding standards and things like that. Right. Well, and there's one one coding standard. I don't even know if I'd call it a coding standard, which kind of gets me. And uh, I've been having a de- an ongoing debate with one of my coworkers about it. And I know that you and I have talked about it before, but I think it just need it just needs to be talked about. It's called Hungarian notation. And I've actually read articles or like responses by people who are actually from Hungary who say that Hungarian language is nothing like Hungarian notation. Whatever. So Hungarian notation is. Well, let me step back. When you write code, for anyone out there who's not a coder or a programmer, when you write code, you know you can have really crappy-looking code that's impossible to read, but compiles and runs just fine. If you can write code that compiles and runs, then it's time to take the next step and make it so it's readable and maintainable, right? Right. In different shops, like a, like for each company, you might decide, all right, you know, this is kind of how we're going to write code so that you know in the future other people can work on it. And so you you develop standards, you know, like we'll write comments a certain way or we'll, uh, you know, use certain naming conventions, that sort of thing, which is pretty standard across many industries. At an old job that I had, we had lots of naming conventions for things that were not even code related. That sort of thing is completely reasonable. But then there's Hungarian notation. And Hungarian notation is a joke because... The guy who came up with the concept originally was Hungarian, or he had a Hungarian name at least. Yeah, it is uh, Simoni, S-I-M-O-N. Yeah, and he worked for Microsoft. and uh, He was chief architect of Microsoft. Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He was chief architect for Microsoft. And he wrote this article, which I read, and all right, so let me just give a disclaimer here. I hate Hungarian notation. Yet I love Hungarian notation because the way he describes it, it is a very elegant and awesome way to to write your code. The way people use it drives me up a wall. There are two types of Hungarian notation, and here's here's the problem: is that I think the wrong type got picked up. Right. But I I use the wrong type myself because you're wrong about Hungarian notation. In case any of our listeners were wondering, Craig's wrong. No, no, I, I'm I am actually right, and I'm backed up by some of the by the, some of the smartest people in the industry. Like, for instance, Microsoft does not recommend it, and uh, people like Linus Torvalds and Bjorn Strustrup think that Hungarian notation is an abomination. So, Hungarian notation. Let me just explain what it is. When you have a variable in programming, which is just a, a group of letters, you know, that are numbers that represent a value, and they have a type. Like, so you might say, I want my variable is called number of apples, and it is t- of type integer, so it can represent the number of apples that I can have. So Hungarian notation says, the way that it's used incorrectly, says, all right, I have a variable called number of apples, and it's an integer. Therefore, all integer variables that I have, I'm going to put a little lowercase i in front of them. So number of apples becomes i number of apples. Actually, you'd use a lowercase n most of the time by convention. Well, whatever. Which is kind of funny because my coworker uses lowercase i. Say you have a float value which represents level of water. It would be called f level of water or d if it's double, something like that. So not to get into too many details, but basically what you're saying is that what your variable represents, the type of value that your variable represents, will be indicated by its the prefix on it. 
and that is Systems Hungarian, which not, is wrong, but it's what most people use. Yeah, exactly. Then there's – I think the other one call, is called Apps Hungarian. Apps Hungarian. Yeah, Apps Hungarian because, if, if for instance, in C++, C++ you, you can have a string, like a safe string or an unsafe string. You know, I'm not sure if I'm explaining this right, but basically – Okay, let's say, let's say we're writing for some unknowable reason – a web application in C++. Okay, we're right. <laughs> so the That's user has a text box that they've typed some string into. But we don't know what's in that text box. It could be their name, or they could be trying to hack us and inject some bad stuff. Exactly. Okay, so we've got an incoming string. Right. And if the string is what we'd call safe, meaning... Uh, I'm not actually sure what they consider a safe string. I would consider like an unsafe string, like basically a character array with no terminating or whatever, where it's basically just something where you, the value comes in and you just process whatever's in it. Whereas right. a safe string might be we've uh, we've verified the length of the string, we've made sure it terminates, we've gone through it and taken out any characters that might be dangerous to our application, like exactly, yeah, special characters that you can use to say okay. If you're actually trying to write this into a database, I'm going to try to break out of your database statement now and put my own statement in, which is called SQL injection. Right. And, and so so the string that is you know, a safe string – so let's say our variable is called request. So if it's just we take it in and process it, we'd call it us request for unsafe string request. But if we check it and everything and we're using it that way, we would call s request for safe string request. Right. And you know, or is something like that, which is a good way of doing it. Or uh, say you uh, like a one I kind of even like better. Uh, like say you have a, in, in you're working on a web application, you have a grid, and you're like you get a row. You might call it G row, blah blah whatever. So that actually is not even quite the same, but it kind of represents more the kind of object, or it's like. Right. You know, so let me like, let me try to summarize this. So, systems Hungarian is where you you take something uh, that's very concrete in computer sciencey or computer programming about the variable. So, yeah. this variable is a a signed integer. This variable is a double precision floating point, right. and you add that to the name as a prefix. Apps App. Hungarian, you're you're taking the purpose of it, and or some you know. Some logical information that's not encapsulated by the type, but it's the something that really right. It matters to the programmer, but not necessarily to the computer. Well, the guy uh, Simone pretty much says the type in in this context is has to do with the set of operations that can be applied to a quantity. So you know, it's like if you have a variable, it like is more like how you know, like kind of how this exists, not specifically what it is. So I mean. Probably people are probably like their eyes are glazed over right now saying, why are they even like, you know, uh, why are they even talking about this? Because it seems like, you know, who cares, right? Right. Now, in either case, what you're trying to do is add some information to the source code, to the software, such that, you know, someone reading it understands more than just the logical flow. You know, they're seeing a little bit of extra insight into what you were trying to do with the code. Uh, right. And like a disclaimer is that if you if you are if you have a standard to say of using or not using any notation and you and you veer away from it, that does not constitute a bug because the code will work fine no matter what your your variables are named. Right, so, we can name all our variables. Craig is ugly one. Craig is ugly two. Craig is ugly three. Then the computer and, would crash because that is completely against computer logic. <laughs> so 
my, my qualm with that is, so we're naming all of our stuff, you know, say we have a variable named data, I data, because it's an integer, or, you know, you this, or blah, blah. So I have a, you know, I have my master's degree in computer science. I did a lot of, like, I took software engineering. I have, like, I would say a classical computer science education. And one of the things that, like, I learned first off was, like, you you, you need to use, like, descriptive names. So number of apples. Like, there's no, you know, because the number of apples, it's obviously an integer. And when you're using it, you would be declaring that in your function. It seems completely superfluous. And I think it makes it harder to read because, you know, now everything is I number of apples, blah, blah. Because, for instance, in the old Fortran language, all integer variables started with I, J, or K. So it just seems like that. It's like they used to to do that because of limitations of the compilers and all that. But now that's not necessary anymore. And you you can give your variables good names. See, now I'll say, even though the compiler really knows the type... Does it, can you ever really know the type, though? It's for your programmers that they can look at the code and say, "Oh, look here, I'm you know trying to assign a string to a numeric variable." Well, of course, that's going to blow up. I mean, and it's a question of what can you see before you apply the compiler to it. Yeah, right. But and that that's true. And, and you know, and it's always said you shouldn't use the compiler to debug your code. You know, you right. should just which which is fine. But you know, it's we all do it. However, you know. It's. I suppose it does give you some extra information, but no more information than l- looking up two lines in your function to the variable declaration. And, and my argument is, well, if you can't like figure out what this is because 500 lines up the file or whatever, or it's not in your file at all because you're using global variables, then it's not that you need to make it more readable by na- renaming your variables. You need to actually make your software modular and follow good software practices. I used to feel really strongly about Hungarian notation, but... Uh, in in after, what way? You mean you liked it a lot, or you just... I, liked, I, I used it religiously. I still use it a lot in my dynamically typed stuff. For instance, I do a lot of work in Lua now, which is a scripting language, yep. uh, and it's dynamically typed, so there's really nothing to tell you. I mean, at runtime, you'll know what the types are, but there's nothing in your source code to really indicate your types except for in in my case my variable it it infers types but it's not it's still not as quick to see as declaring a type explicitly uh, and i can see that because what you're we're doing like things that aren't type safe make sure that you're not like kind of screwing something up and and the whole dynamic language thing that or dynamic type i'd say that's reasonable it, actually maybe advisable in my in my .NET work, I actually find I'm moving away from Hungarian, if for no other reason than just to conform to Microsoft's kind of style, where they no longer use it. Yeah, they actually actively do not recommend, or they actively like de-recommend it. Yeah, I mean, I see the point of Hungarian, what it's trying to accomplish, but you know, given the state of modern compilers and code editors, I don't know that it's necessary anymore. Wow, you just like totally made me win that argument. It wasn't even yeah. my argument. Is you guys should all have been watching RIM chat the other day where I was feverishly defending Hungarian, but after a couple of days to think, I'll, I'll let Craig be right this once. That was just because you were being Mr. Cranky Pants. I hadn't had any coffee yet. Somebody's overtired. <laughs> it's all this packing. That's right, packing to go to the Golden State or the Golden Gate State, or I don't know what what state is it actually. I don't know the far one. Okay. Yeah. All I care is that it's in America. You know, I, I'm almost not in America. I'm right on the border of Tijuana. Really? I like it's Tijuana. Th- I liked it so much that I named one of my computers Tijuana. Nice. Have you been there? 
No. I, I don't actually don't know anything about it. I just know it's fun because it's because it's like spelled cool and it's awesome. That, that's really not a particularly good reason to like anything. No. But so when you, when you move out to Tijuana, I will come do an on location uh, tweaking geek, and then from Tijuana. Excellent. We're live tweaking geek live at the Donkey Show. No. <laughs> that is right. so. That is so not getting getting edited out. <laughs> uh, yes, I'm editing this week. So, <laughs> okay. Your poor ears. Poor ears. Well, this was uh, an interesting show. A little more random than usual, maybe. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that it's been so long since our last show that uh, I think now that we're in season two of Tweaking Geek, that we'll. Uh, We'll just have to kind of explore some new vistas. Not Windows Vista. No, we'll we'll not explore those vistas. So I, I would like to invite. I will be living just south of the town of Vista. Well, that's very exciting. So you will have to say if the town is as good as the operating system. I, I so, sure hope. All right. Well, I'd like to invite all of our call or all of our listeners to leave us a voicemail at uh, our Grand Central account, which is six seven eight. Nine 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 six three two one, and uh, sometime we'll talk a little bit more about what Grand Central is. But it's like basically the coolest the internet has to offer for uh, for uh, voicemail. So uh, and it, as we all know, the internet has a lot of cool stuff to offer for voicemail. And call in the next ten minutes, and you'll receive not one but two shoutouts on Tweaking Geek. Absolutely, everyone. I guarantee that everyone who leaves a uh, a message that doesn't involve a lot of heavy breathing will get played on on the air. And anyone whose message does involve a lot of heavy breathing will get played a lot off air. <laughs> exactly. Well, thanks a lot for... Uh, oh, what? If you don't dare you know, voicemail us, you can always email us at tg at tweakinggeek.com. Email is so 2006. I know. It's, it's time for Web 3.4. Web 3.4.2. Oh, that's dangerous. It is. All right, I'd like to thank everyone for listening. Yeah, me too. And we'll and the next Tweaking Geek will come to you live from Southern California. It will? Well, I don't know. It, it won't be live. but yeah, it'll, it be, will, it'll be pre-recorded from Southern California. And Southern Maine. Oh, freaky. Whoa. Okay. Well, thanks for <laughs> thanks for listening and we'll kick kill this before it dies on its own. Yeah.